Gary, I'm on staff here, have been for 19 years. It's uh, great to be with you this morning. I think I audibly gagged. Uh, I certainly did internally. It might have come out. It was the beginning of what would turn out to be one of the most poignant, thrilling, jaw-dropping, defining, face-stretching moments in my whole 33 years of walking with the Lord. And uh, it certainly became woven into our family narrative. And I almost missed it completely, if it weren't, if it weren't for my wife. Uh, Ann and I were in the driveway in our car, uh, as I remember, talking about a stirring in her heart. God had placed uh, a face-stretching burden on her, and uh, she was letting me into that. We were all challenged uh, at this time of giving and, and transition, and we were about to take in uh, a baby for adoption, a three-year-old. And Ann looked at me in our car with the excitement uh, of just her face was lit up, and she just wanted to let me into this. And what it was about was an amount that she felt God was calling us to give away. Now, in our home, this is how the Gadini home works, we are planned, prioritized percentage givers. Uh, we have been for most of our marriage, the overwhelming majority of our marriage. And we do it all automatically. Uh, we give our first 10% of our gross income here and then give away stuff outside of that. But it all gets taken out of our checkbook. And we're faithful and we're living in that. And to be honest with you, we've just whittled our budget to live within that means. Then Ann messed with all that when she said, I think God's put a number on my heart that we're to give away. And her number had a lot of zeros after it. <laughs> I'm talking a lot of zeros. And I'd like to tell you that her loving, godly pastor husband said yes, but she had fear bringing this number. And I almost gagged. Her sense was, why not? You talk about audacious faith, and this is the number I believe God's called and given me. Let's go for it. Where would that money come from? That's the point, she replied. We're to trust God. This is giving by faith. I'm not asking us to look into our savings or look to other places. God's put this number on my heart. Let's trust him. And I have to admit, her faith and her character is contagious. I can trust my character. For all you high school students or people outside of marriage, I cannot tell you. I underestimated completely uh, how valuable it was for me to have a wife who walks with God. I, I trust her character, and it's come through in many ways. Little did I know that conversation uh, would be the genesis of an experience that would be the most thrilling experience of my whole Christian life. It would be a grand narrative, because we brought our girls into it, that marked us. See, men and women, God has a financial uh, plan for financial prosperity. And his plan, his blueprint, clearly laid out in Scripture, does not disregard hard work. It does not disregard saving. It does not disregard wise investment. But God's plan and God's plan for prosperity calls us to first give him a planned, prioritized percentage of our gross income and then trust him with the rest. Uh, the cause of Christ has always, always been fueled by this divine plan. Hope has always been moved on the backs of the generosity of God's people. From the start, the church wasn't organized. From the start, the church had no buildings. They had no budget. They weren't recognized by the government. In modern day terms, they were considered a cult from the start in the Roman Empire. And for almost three centuries, they remained utterly powerless, socially ostracized, politically persecuted, physically tortured, and Christianity just kept growing. 
You need to know this baffles historians. And volumes have been written on why is this? How is this phenomenon called Christianity? How did it survive from the Roman Empire? Over the years, as the question has been explored, the result has always come back the same. Undeniably, Christianity has grown because of compassionate generosity. The followers of Christ beat them, persecute them, kill them, throw them in the Colosseum, make sport of them. They just kept compassionately giving, living for another world. Christ's followers simply took Jesus at his word. That has always been God's method for spreading hope. Now, we all love the idea of hope that moves, right? It's a, it's a cute little slogan. It's more than a slogan to me. But it, we all love that. But when the rubber meets the road, here's the bottom line. Hope in direct proportion is going to move with our generosity. In direct proportion to our generosity. And I'm not just talking about financial generosity. In direct proportion to our generosity of spirit, our generosity of time, our generosity of words, our generosity of character, our generosity of vision. Uh, What if God were to use on this Pentecost Sunday, do you know that today's the day that the church celebrates Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit swooped down in Acts 2 and the church was born? What if God were to use a revival of generosity in our day to spread hope like never, never before? All this leads to 2 Corinthians chapter 9. Open your Bibles there. If you don't have a Bible, there's a pew Bible in front of you. And someone just shout out the page number, if you would, on the pew Bible. I want you all there. What's that? 1162. Thanks. 1162. And let me give you context. You need to know every sermon has a context, right? Every passage has a context. And I want to encourage you to uh, head home today and read 2 Corinthians 8 and 2 Corinthians 9. It's all one package. Paul is traveling around. He's collected money for the church in Jerusalem. Uh, the, you know, the mothership, if you will, has is a famine in Jerusalem. And they are desperate. And so Paul says, oh, You know what? You have birthed all these churches out on uh, west in the Roman Empire. Let me just go around. They would love to help you in your time of need. We love you. And he did it. And so he's writing this letter to the Corinthians because they gave over and above. They just continually give. One of the most generous churches in all of Scripture. And, And Paul, know this, he's got their money in hand. This is not a plea for money that we're coming into. He has it in hand. It's a thank you. And he says, now while I'm on the subject, let me explain to you how this whole giving thing works from God's perspective. And what we see here, this is fascinating. You don't see this anywhere else in Scripture. It's like, you remember the Wizard of Oz when they pulled the veil back and exposed the wizard? Paul pulls the veil back and says, let me show you how generosity works from God's heart, from God's perspective. And he gives us three principles. You ready? Here's the first. The principle of the harvest Verse 6, look in your Bible, or you can look on the screen, or you can look in your message notes. Verse 6, you know, I had someone uh, over in the gym say to me, you know, I always read the message notes and wonder who's given the sermon. He said, you know, you always have the same kind of outline in your message notes. He wasn't dogging me, he was just going, I knew it was you. I'm like, okay, thank you. Um, Okay, I don't know why I said that. The principle of the harvest, here we go. Paul's talking mainly to an agrarian culture in in Corinth. And so he picks on an illustration. They would know. He says, remember this. Whoever sows sparingly. He looks at a farmer. He's got a seed bag. And he goes, let's just talk about the farmer who says, I'm going to plant. Only only two. There's one there. There's one there. I, I, I 
I have all these seeds, but this is my future. The more I put down, the less I have. He says, whoever sows sparingly, in direct proportion, that's implied, will reap sparingly. Law of the harvest. And, he says, let's look at another farmer. Whoever sows generously will reap generously. Paul opens up with this simple observation that each one of us can relate to. And if we let it, it will revolutionize your very life and your perspective on generosity. Paul's saying that those who give generously will receive something in return for participating. Now, before you go write me an email, don't hear what I'm not saying, and look in the Word, and you show me if I'm saying something contrary to Scripture. I expect you to write me an email when I do that. Paul's saying, and furthermore, that in direct correlation, there's a direct correlation between how much you give and how much comes back. That's the law of the harvest. How much you give, the more we sow, the more we reap. Sow a little seed, you get a little crop. Because it has to be there in seed form before it can show up in crop form. Your harvest, he's saying, is directly proportionate to your seeds sown. God has set in motion a principle, the law of the harvest. That's what he's saying here. See, the farmer who foolishly says, Ah, oh, I don't want to give up these seeds, will not have a big crop to yield. And at harvest time in the fall, he'll look at all these other crops and go, Gosh, where's my crop? God, you didn't come through. And God says, Oh, I came through. You sowed one seed. Look at the crop from that seed. Maybe next year you can have enough faith to sow two seeds. And let me grow you and give you grace and generosity. Paul wasn't talking to people who were trying to get rich. See, uh, especially around here, we were so financially hard. Oh, my gosh, it's so hard to just survive financially. We all want to learn how to get rich. Paul's talking about how to be rich. And there's a big difference. So can I ask you on this first principle alone, are you sowing seeds sparingly or abundantly? And you pick the, your seed. I could be talking, maybe the Holy Spirit would use you uh, around finances, but maybe it's around your time. Maybe it's around your character or an aspect of your character. What kind of patience seeds are you sowing? Maybe it's selflessness. What kind of selfless seeds are you sowing? Maybe it's joy. I don't know what it is for you, but, but the application here, the principle of the harvest, it certainly is true in finances, but it's true in a lot of areas. What you sow with God is directly proportion to what you harvest from God. Okay? Page two. Let's look at the next principle. We're going to build on them. Are you with me? All right. Page two. It gets better. Oh my gosh, it gets better. The principle of divine subtraction. Now I want your Bible out if you have it. I want your pen out because I want you to write in your Bible. I'm going to unpack some of this for us all. Okay? Paul says this. We'll start in verse 6 again. He's going to build on this. Remember this. Principle of the harvest. Whoever sows sparingly, and now there's another principle we're going to pull out of this, the principle of divine subtraction. Now I am going to go from pastoring to meddling. Because I think I'm going to hit you right where you're at, right where you're wrestling. Because for 33 years, God showed me this was my wrestle. Paul says, whoever sows sparingly will reap sparingly. Whoever sows generously will reap generously. Okay, here's where you write. Each one of you should give what you have decided in your heart. 
Now, Paul wrote that in a different language, a different culture. That's only one word in Paul's script. And what it means is to choose deliberately. To choose deliberately. Uh, Truth be told, I used to be an umpire. Did you know that? I was an umpire for baseball. I was an umpire for half a Little League season as a 13-year-old because I couldn't make the call. It actually is one of the most traumatic experiences of my life. I can go back almost 40 years. I'm at Rancho's school. It's my first game. I'm 13, little league ump, and it's, you know, 9 to 12-year-olds. And there I am on first base. A, ball, a guy hits the ball, goes to the shortstop. He scoops it up, throws it out. It's coming. I'm positioned. They didn't give me any training in this. They just had me there. And I'm sitting here watching, and the ball comes in, and I look at it, and I'm like, ah. I think he's out. I don't know. Oh, my gosh. And I'm looking around, and now the little league parents are like, come on, make the call. I'm like, I'm just 13. And I'm in the fetal position, sucking my thumb. I'm like, come on, stop it. Okay, I wasn't in the fetal position, but I'm like, okay, okay, he's out. And then they just come unglued. You stink. And they said worse than that. And I'm just like, ah. That's how some of us are with our giving. Comes time for the offering, we fidget. I'm not down on this. I don't, I don't watch. Believe it or not, we do not have cameras placed in here that zero in on everybody that gives. But, you know, I've done that. You're like, oh, gosh, I guess I should give something. And, and we, you know, what do we make? we're afraid to make the call. Paul says, that's not it. You know what actually what, what it says in other words in scriptures? Kind of here, too. Just keep it. Because giving's not about your stuff. You miss this, you miss it all. Giving's about your heart. And God wants to know where your heart is, and there's a direct line between your heart and your stuff. Uh, We love women's volleyball. Our daughter played, and we got caught up in Stanford women's volleyball. They're amazing. And there's a line judge. He doesn't do every. He's a Pac-12 line judge, but he's on the back corner, and he is just so proper. It's just a thrill to watch him. And when that ball goes, it doesn't matter if it's almost near the line or far out. He just makes the call with his flag. Pulls the flag up. Boom! I'm like, that's making the call. That's what I can't do in Little League. But awesome. That's what God wants you to do. Be deliberate. Before you even come to church. Before you even start the year. As you plan your year. Sit with your roommates. Because it's private, but it's not personal. I'm sorry, it's personal, but it's not private. Sit with your spouse and go, honey, this is what we think we have. What can we trust God for this year? That's what it means. All that in one word. Now, look at this. I think this will liberate us. Decide in your heart what to give. Now, look at this. Not reluctantly. Circle that word. That's internal. It's when we have self-imposed guilt or shame or remorse. That's the farmer with his seeds going, okay, I, I guess i got to sow, but you're going to have to pry it from me. That's reluctance. Oh, I'm so bummed I sowed those seeds. I want them back. That's remorse. You know what God says? Just keep your money. I I don't need your money. You know this year-end giving grant? The second matching funder didn't even come from PCC. I didn't even know these people got one of our letters. And I get this email on Saturday from Texas. And these people are like, we love what you're doing. We're going to give up to $25,000, and you tell anyone who gives, we'll match it. All the way from Texas. And I'm like, wow, God, you don't need our money. You'll bring money from Texas, from all over the place. 
down, look at this, not under compulsion. So if reluctance is internal, you know what compulsion is? External. Compulsion is when people use shame or guilt. Whenever you hear the word should associated with anything, really, should is the language of shame. When everyone says you should give, that's shameful. Listen, uh, any shepherd worth anything in the kingdom of God just lets the need be known and then trusts God and believes that people walk with the Holy Spirit. That's what Paul was saying. Look, make the call. Don't be reluctant. Don't feel guilt. Now, I love this. For God loves uh, what kind of giver? Yeah, I'll give you the Greek word. You tell me what comes from Hilarion. Isn't that awesome? God loves a hilarious giver. I, I can almost tell you the emotional, um, the emotional wave, high, low, of the worship service in the West, usually. Here's how it goes. Welcome. All right, we're going to worship. And we don't purposely try to play on your emotions. I, I almost, you know, we, we communicate each other while we're worshiping. In that last song, It Is Well, I just was, I almost wanted to text like, ah, I love this, you know. But anyway, it's like it starts, it builds, it builds, it builds. Ah, and then we go to giving, and then the sermon, and then one more serve, and we're done. Oh, man, we're done. We're way up here. Why? Why is that? My first church service in the Congo, it started here, and then we had an offering. It went up there and just stayed up there. Because these people, I'm like, they have nothing. And they're dancing, the offering game. They're dancing and they're giving their money. And and it was just amazing. Amazing. Paul says that's who God loves. Actually, you know what's implied here? Uh, I didn't say this in the other services. uh, I just think it's sound and the Holy Spirit's guiding me. God loves the world. That's true. What's implied here is God has a special love for hilarious, generous givers. Not that he doesn't love anyone less. He loves the world. He's never less loving. But there's a unique love that God has for the hilarious, plan, prioritize percentage giver. Now, I know why we don't do this. I've been reminded with my daughter. She's in first grade, and it's first grade math. And I'm like, ah, this week I was like, gosh, this has been ingrained in me since I was seven years old. I get first grade math. I'll show you some right now. Let's just do an equation. Ten minus one, what? Yeah, it's open book test, okay? Everybody? (laughs) 10 minus zero? It's not hard, people. Yeah, 10. Therefore, we conclude from an early age, the less we give, the more we have. And if we want to have more in the bank account, we subtract less from giving. We do that in everywhere. We look at our, our life insurance policy. We look at our car insurance. We look at all this different stuff and think, how can we cut back on food this month? Because the less we give, the more we have. And so we put that on God and we go, oh, of course, the less I give to God, the more we'll have. Or if I just give God leftovers, that's cool. So giving from a natural viewpoint is a sure way to have less. And that's why we hold back. At least that's why I do problem with this math is it leaves God out of the equation. Now, let me ask you a question. In what other area of your life do you want to stiff arm God and say, look, don't enter. I'll do this my way. When God has clearly showed you the blueprint, when you come to trust his character, I don't want to do that in my relationship with my daughter. I want to do it God's way. When I fall short, there's grace and I fall short a lot. I don't want to do that in my relationship as a pastor. 
or my relationship towards work. I want God to be a part of it all. So why would we say to God, no, 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 no. See, because kingdom math is different than this math, and it's all over the scriptures. I put it, just three scriptures in your outline. Well, let's look at one right here, Proverbs chapter 11. Kingdom math says this, the more you give to God, the more you have. Sitting at kingdom math, the more you give to God, the more you have. Look at Proverbs. One person gives freely, look at this, yet gains even more. What? Yeah, this doesn't make sense. But friends, isn't that the whole point? Who wants to live a life that makes sense? The whole point is to trust God with this. Okay, so then, last principle, quickly. Well, let me just bring you into our story again. As we ventured through our giving by faith experiment at this point, God was working these principles in my heart, and we became excited. But one thing was missing. Uh, The amount of money that God put on our hearts, that amount was missing. We're like, where's that money going to come from? So as time went on, we figured it out that the place we had that money was in the equity in our home. So we crunched numbers. This is about, I don't know, four or five years ago. We crunched numbers, and um, we realized, oh, we could sell our house, move into a smaller house, and that's where that number would come from. We'd give the money that is the delta. That doesn't take faith. That just takes logic, right? That's just logical. The numbers matched. So we got a real estate agent. We even found the perfect seller of a home. It was smaller, but this perfect seller told us, we'll give you the home at this price, even though you have to put a contingency that you sell your home, we'll hold it for you. And two or three times they went back on their deal. Bottom line was this. In this kind of market, they didn't keep up their end of the market. We put our house on the market We didn't have one offer. And we're like, oh my gosh, maybe God has a different way. Third principle, quickly, really quickly. The principle of abundant replenishing. Now get ready. I'm just warning you. Here comes the jaw-dropping part. I want you, for the next couple minutes, lean in. I need you to listen carefully because these verses have been taken out of context and misaligned by many people. I don't want to do that. Verse 8. I want you. Paul plays on the word all, takes this word all in his language, and almost uses every form of the word all in the whole Greek language in this one verse. You see it everywhere. It's his point. Here it is. God is able. uh, Better translated, the word's dunamis, where we get dynamite from. God is powerful. That's the point. That's the point. And honestly, if I were to say, you know what, if you were to whittle down my giving to one thing, it comes down to, can I trust God at that point? Is he powerful enough to keep his word? Because this whole thing that Ann brought us, our whole family into, wasn't about what we can do. It was trusting God versus what he could do. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that in all things, at all times, Having all you need, you will abound in every good work. In other words, God is a divine resupplier. And as you give out your seed, you're not losing it. When it comes to God, you're investing it and joining in Him, with Him, in this amazing, amazing aspect of generosity. Now, look what it says, verse 10. Now, he who supplies seed to the sower, where does our seed come from? 
Now, before you say, yeah, oh, come on, Gadini, I went to Stanford. Really? Who gave you the mind to go to Stanford? And who gave you the favor to stay in Stanford? Who, I'm not thinking, of, I know I'm talking to a bunch of Stanford grads, and you're like, oh, my wife talked to them. I'm not talking about it. <laughs> who gave you the ability to work? Who's kept you safe in and out of work on a daily basis? Come on, you know it's not about you. You know if God were to remove his hand, you know as well as I do where I would be. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed. Now, either God's a liar or we don't trust him. That's where I had to come. That's just me. He'll enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. Just sit for a minute, okay? What I've had to realize is this. Oh, my gosh. Now this takes it to a whole new level. Maybe not just my giving. My whole character is tied to my generosity. That that special love God has for me, when I'm generous, God enlarges the harvest of my righteousness, of my character. Maybe some of the reason I'm not seeing answer to prayer in my own life around righteousness is because I'm not generous. And God's saying, you know what? Let's deal with the root issue in your life. You're tight-fisted. And it's not just with your stuff. You're just a tight... I'm talking what I've gone through. You're just a tight-fisted person. You will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. I love that. The principle of divine resupply. All of us live in this tension. The question when we give, what if I'm generous? I've got two more minutes, so stick with me. And what if God doesn't have my back on this? I've been there. What if I give God and it's crickets up in heaven? Because no one's noticing and no one honors this. What if there's no resupply that comes my way as I spread this seed and I'm let, let hung out there with less to live on for myself and no word from heaven? How you wrestle with the resupply principle of God will drive your generosity in every area, not just financially. The resupply principle of God will determine everything. Oh, and that's what we learned from our blessed test. From what we did with this bulk of uh, this number that my wife had, we learned God is able. And God gives the seed, so you give away. So in this, God gave us a number. We tried to get that number where we saw it logically. After we prayed about it, God said, no, no, no. That doesn't take faith. That just takes logic. And I don't want you to be the hero of this story. I want to be the hero of this story. So we took our house off the market. And a few months into the journey, we received a call from an attorney. We have a check coming our way. See, God provided money out of nowhere that we were asking for. We had no idea that money was there. We had no idea it was coming to us at that time. And the attorney called and said, yeah, a check's coming your way. And my wife wrote the largest check we've ever put on a checkbook, uh, ever, and put it in an envelope and gave it away. And she did it with a smile on her face. And I just thought, oh my gosh, 
God, you're amazing. What a journey of faith. We felt like the disciples with the loaves and fishes feeding the 5,000, going out, going, there's not enough here. And then God just going, let me just supply for you to give away. It was glorious, my friends. Oh, and then a couple months after, we put our house on the market. And within a matter of weeks, had multiple offers and sold it and moved down to this area. See, God's agenda is to transform us, don't miss this, from naturally born getters to supernaturally born again givers. You can write that and bank on it. You want to know what God's agenda is for you? If you don't know uh, Christ and you're here and you're going, I'm just checking out Jesus, and I know about 10% of you are doing that. I'm so glad you're here. I hope we have more than that every week. You know what God wants to turn you from to? From a naturally born getter to a supernaturally born again giver. And at some point as a Christian, I just want to say you have to go for it and trust God. So I'd invite you, as Helen's about to come up, but I'd invite you to do a generosity audit of your life this week. Really. Just take some time, and if you're in community, bring it into the community, whether it be your family, your spouse, or your roommates, and just ask, am I a generous person? How am I doing with that? Where do I see as the source of our seed, my seed? And what am I doing with it? And then follow God. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you so much for being faithful. And throughout history, you have been amazing, amazing to stay true to your word. And God, I want to thank you for the men and women in this body who uh, for over 65 years have been faithful as well and have lived this out. Uh, They are the poster children of this sermon. Sisters like Melanie and brothers who are here today too, and other sisters. God, we give ourselves to you, and we pray that you would make us doers of the word, not just hearers. We love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name, everybody said, Amen. Amen. Listening to the Peninsula Covenant Church podcast. We're located at 3560 Farm Hill Boulevard in Redwood City, California. You can reach us online at www.peninsulacovenant.com.